Man, it's a real treat to be with you this morning. Uh, it's a real treat to preach in August uh, because in Czech Republic, it's about 20 degrees colder. And so I'm glad I get to preach in the time when not everybody's wearing a suit and tie, and that's a real treat. Uh, on behalf of 5,000 missionaries that serve all around the globe, I want to say thank you. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy about coming back to the States is getting to meet people that give sacrificially, that say missions is more than just my city, my parish, my community, my country. It's about the whole world hearing about Jesus. And so I want to say thank you. I know it's been a difficult couple of years for you, but you continue to give and give and give, and I say thank you. Because people like the Roma are hearing about Jesus that about 15 to 20 years ago never knew he even existed and weren't hearing about it from local people. So I want to say thank you. But I also want to say thank you to this church because you're a part of the cooperative program. That in 1845, as a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, we said... But it's not just about this one place. Your life is important, but it's not just about this one state. It's about all of us working together for the good of others to hear the gospel so that the Savior might be glorified. So we do more together than we do individually. And our greatest good is together for the nations. But I also want to say thank you to Pastor David and those that came for our Malta event. One of the joys I get to do is to help plan an event where our missionaries can step aside and just relax. Usually they get to go to a sunny place. Usually Malta is a sunny place. This time when your church came, it was a little colder. The building where we were meeting was not completely heated. And I still have this image of one of our missionaries in Malta when it's usually about 70, 80 degrees in a parka, covered up with glass, with gloves and freezing there sitting in that room. And I want to say thank you to your church for coming to that. One year I asked my kids, would you rather go to Disney World or would you rather go to AGM, our annual meeting? And without a doubt, they said, we'd rather go to annual meeting. Because that's when they get a chance to be with other missionaries. And so I want to say thank you to David and those that made the journey that will stick in my kids' memory and those that were there for a long, long time. But I'm thankful for when we did it because the next week was when the uprising took place in Libya. And Malta was the setting off place for people leaving Libya. And so I'm glad we did it one week earlier and not one week later. That would have made for a much bigger catastrophe. As Pastor David said, I, we work with the Roma Gypsy people. The Roma Gypsy people are the largest stateless people group in Europe. Most people believe they left um, Europe, India in about the 13, 1400s. The largest population to date still lives in India, but there's about 10 million that live on the European continent. When they left India, they weren't liked in India, and so people said, let's get rid of them. And they start showing up in literature, and still today, the largest population in Europe is in Romania. Now you may be sitting here today saying, what, what does that really matter? Why would I really care about a people group over there that I'll never visit, never see, don't know their language? Why does that matter? Because their story is very similar to the story we'll look at today in the Gospel of John chapter 9 about a man who thought his life would always be the same, about a man who thought his life would never change, and about a religious system that pretty much didn't know what to do with him. And that's the story of the Roma people. Right now, it's considered from 2000 to 2010 was considered the decade of the Roma problem. What do we do with this people? We don't really want them in our society. We've tried to build walls around them. What do we do with this people group? And this European Union has still to decide what to do with this people group. And that story is very similar to John chapter 9. I'm going to tell this story a little bit different because mostly when I tell stories, the Roma haven't gone through advanced degrees they've usually gone only about the fourth grade so i'm going to tell this story maybe the way i would tell it to them in a church 
And I hope you can listen and enjoy and learn from them some of the lessons. The story in John chapter 9 talks about a man that Jesus met. If you can imagine a couple back in those days that had just celebrated, they, uh, a young mother and father had just found someone for their son to marry, and they began to plan the festivities and the activities for their son to marry this lady. And as it gets closer to the wedding day, they're so excited. All they have is anticipation and joy and excitement. And then the actual day of the wedding comes. The families are happy. All it is is dreams and hopes and aspirations. Nothing could ever go wrong in this situation. They're married, and then maybe a year or two later, they conceive. Maybe about six months into the pregnancy, the, maybe the, the wife leans over to the husband and says, I don't feel so good. Is everything all right? Oh, it's just probably something bad you ate. Don't even worry about it. Everything's going to be just fine. So they go through, and then they come until the delivery of the baby. And when the baby is born, they realize something's wrong. This isn't what they expected. This isn't what they planned at all. And they begin to question like all of us would. They begin to wonder what happened. And they go to the priests, to the Levites, and say, what did we do? And they give the prevailing understanding at that point of, it was either something you did or something that the boy did. And now they're confused. They don't know what to do. They've gone to what they know how to do, to the systems they know, and now they're confused. And at this point, this is where Jesus meets the man. They've gone now from excitement and anticipation to now resignation. This is what it's going to be like. And the story begins as Jesus went along. He saw a man blind from birth. The first thing I want to tell you and remind you about missions is that Jesus is close to hurting people. You know, if you've been hurt or burned by by someone who said they were religious or by a church system or by something that said that they were helping you point to truth, that's exactly what had happened to this man. But you would have been a, you would want to have been close to Jesus because he was close to hurting people. He wasn't far away from those that were hurting. They didn't have all the answers that were confused. Jesus was close to hurting people. It actually says that that was his mission in other places. He came for those that needed a doctor. Those that were sick, that's the reason he came. No matter your situation today, whether you've come here by on your last hope or maybe out of tradition, Jesus is close to hurting people. I've only been in town about two weeks, so I don't know your situation. But Jesus knows exactly where you are today. And he's not far away. He's actually closer, the Bible says, than a brother. He's close to you. Luke says it in other ways that the people were looking for him, but when he came... He said, my job is to give recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to preach the year of the Lord's favor. That was his mission. You know, for this man, it was by accident. This was going to be a day like any other day where he was going to beg and hope for something good. But it wasn't accidental for Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we had a volunteer team of students come in. And we were doing park ministry. One of the things we were doing, we were where the Roma were in the park just outside of Prague. And I had the opportunity to sit down on a park bench and talk with Lucia. She's about 17, 18, and she'd come to the park that day just to watch her boyfriend play soccer. But that's not what the Savior had in mind that day. As we sat there on a bench, and there was a high school girl there, we had developed a smartphone application where you could share the stories of a Roma person sharing with another Roma person about how to meet the Savior, about how life was before you met Jesus, about how life, how Jesus changed you, about what had happened since then. And there with Lucy and with this high school girl, this young lady met the Savior. 
No matter where you are right now in your relationship, your journey toward Jesus, he's close to you. You may have moved away, but he's close to you right where you are. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're here today or you heard yesterday or you're here tomorrow, Jesus is close to hurting people. And that makes a difference. But it also means that proximity to the Savior means closeness to hurting people. You'll notice here, you might have just read it quickly. It says, his disciples ask him. The disciples wouldn't have found this man if Jesus hadn't been with them. Well, the Pharisees missed him. The Pharisees didn't know what to do with him. Jesus, the disciples were close to this man because they were close to Jesus. The closer you are to hurting people, the closer you are to the Savior, the closer you're going to be to hurting people. And the converse is true. The further away you move from hurting people, the more you're going to find fault with others. You're going to find fault with the church. I found it among missionaries that we find things to fight about that aren't really that important, that don't last beyond our lifetime as we move away from hurting people. It says right here, his disciples ask him, they were close to this man because they were close to Jesus. I would encourage you to make it a priority in your life to get close to hurting people, to get close to people that don't have all the answers. Because we'll learn in just a minute that that's exactly why we're on the planet. That's the reason why Jesus doesn't take us as soon as we follow him to heaven directly. The next thing that it says, and that they didn't have a category for in this situation, was they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We often, when we don't understand things, we often look to blame it on someone else. Something we couldn't understand. Maybe it's the family, the history we came from. And Jesus says that's not true. He doesn't even address that here. Maybe they think it's his situation. And oftentimes when we come to a situation, we think that the mistakes that we've made have allowed us, pushed us too far from God. But Jesus gives us another category here. He doesn't say that the situation is good. He never in this text says that this is a good situation. But he gives them a new category. He gives them a new definition, something new to look at here. And that it says, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. There's a, young, there's a lady in Brno, Czech Republic, who's been a believer for probably 15, 20 years now. When she was younger, she helped start a church in a couple of nearby villages. And she was a Roma lady. And she was getting to the age of about mid-20s when family expected her to get married. It was quite unusual for her to go beyond 20 and not be married. But as she, she wanted to marry a Roma man, but this, she couldn't find someone that she liked and wanted to be with. And so she began to push it off and push it off. And about near the end, age of 30, she said, well, I, my family is pushing me to get married, and so I probably just ought to get married. And she married a non-believer. The man is a good man. Ladislav is a good guy. But he doesn't share the same interest that she does. He, he doesn't share the same passion that she does. And a couple of years after they'd been married, they had a daughter. And her daughter was born deaf. And oftentimes, when we would have conversations, her daughter was now in her teens, she would often ask me, why did God do this? Did God do this to punish me? And I'd say, no, 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 Kaveta. God didn't do this to punish you. Every child is a gift. Every life is a gift from God. This is a gift of God to show you. But oftentimes, years and years later, she continued to wrestle with that. But it says here, so that the work of God might be displayed in your life. Every situation that you face right now is an opportunity for God to show himself great in your life. I didn't say every situation in your life is good. I didn't say you understand every situation, but every situation in your life right now is an opportunity for God to show himself great. 
That's the most important thing. The Pharisees were right there. They could see with their eyes, but not with their heart. God's word is a definite answer on any situation of your life. Until you've considered what Jesus says, you might as well just keep waiting and keep watching. It says here then, as he continued, it says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I catch that as interesting. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What did Jesus mean by that? I think it's that, in other words, when he's gone, you're the light. And the light shines in the darkest places, shines the brightest in the darkest places. The Roma are the ones that people would have hoped that would have left. They would have hoped that they would have moved on and left society so that we could continue with the rest of the world. But in, even in Czech Republic, where atheism is greater than 80%, The Roma are one of the most responsive people to the gospel. They're one of the most open people to the gospel. They're, uh, with less than, less than two weeks ago with the same trip that was here, we hosted a block party. We were going to put it right in the middle of the Roma neighborhood. We had 45 students and we were going to invite them all out to see and participate. Some of the Roma guys that were there in the church that we'd helped start thought it was crazy. Why would you do this out there? The Roma aren't going to plan. They're not going to show up. This is kind of a waste of time. And on that evening, we had more than 250 Roma out hearing the gospel, interacting with their peers, and hearing that Jesus loves them and cares for them. My wife had the opportunity to have three conversations with people, three ladies who were at very critical points in their life. One lady was considering abortion the following day. One lady was considering going back to stealing. And one lady was considering about staying with her husband. My wife was able to be the, op- the light at that point to respond to Jesus, to respond to that lady, to say that it was he was coming and that Jesus could make a difference. It's interesting how Jesus healed this man. And in the, in the, in the small, when Jesus comes by him, after he's had a conversation with the disciples, he takes some mud. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He takes some mud, spits on it, puts it on his eyes, and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam on the Sabbath. Not all of his miracles were done on, on the Sabbath, but this one was on purpose. The word, the word that it says to, to form that clay was the same word for kneading that the Pharisees said you couldn't do any work. So that got their attention. But as Jesus go, as the man goes, he walks away, and it says as he was see, as he went away, he was healed. And a couple of interesting things about this that I find that Jesus uses simple things to transform us. That's what he's doing with the Roma people. I'm reminded of Yannick and Raphael, two young men who lived in eastern Poland. Uh, the first time I met Raphael, he had, was at a church planners conference in uh, Czech Republic. And he had only finished through the fourth grade. And I, at the time, I asked him, I said, we're considering a long-term missions program from Roma to Roma. Would you consider coming and being a part of this project? He said, I'll pray. We'll think about it. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But as he began to pray, he and his family moved from Poland to Prague to help us start a new church. He, along with four other couples and three other singles, left their country to go to another country to serve the Savior. And at every place where they went, they helped start a new church. The work that we started in Prague was called Chachipen Church. It started with nine people last October. Then it went to 19. Then it went to 43. In Easter of this year, we celebrated our first baptism and the first Lord's Supper. And now attendance averages on 80 from a man who didn't finish fourth grade 
from someone who thought that I wish that group would just move away, Jesus is using the simple things to change a life. But it says also here that he went away doing exactly what Jesus said. Now, the, last, the next thing in this conversation would be that as you follow the Savior, as you're close to hurting people, there's going to be a ripple effect. As you make, make a decision to follow Christ and to be obedient to him, it's going to have a ripple effect. Notice the conversations that take place here between the beggar and other beggars, between the beggar and the Pharisees, between the blind man and the teacher, between the blind man and ultimately his parents, and then between the blind man and they're tired of him. They don't know what to do with him. They don't have a category to put him in. And all he continues to do is share his story, the story of Jesus, and people begin to get changed. You know, this week, the greatest thing that you could do in missions is to share his story, share your story, and listen to their story. Share the story of Jesus, share the story of your life, and listen to their story. In this situation, it began to change everybody around him. They get so frustrated, they kick him out of the synagogue. They kick him out of the, the ruling area at that point, <clears throat> and Jesus finds him. You know, in this moment right now, Jesus has found you. You're in a situation where people care for you, you're around the word, you're around preaching, you're around an opportunity to hear his word, and Jesus will find you. You may have run away, you may have been kicked out of some situations, but Jesus will find you. And he says this, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of the synagogue, and when he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's talking to someone that changed his life. He doesn't even know who it is. Whatever this man would have said at this point, I'll do it. Climb this mountain. Do you Show me where it is. Uh, give this money to this organization. I'll do it. He says, I'm the man. It says at that moment that, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. It means that he gave all of his life to the Savior, and everything began to change. It's, every situation get, didn't get ultimately better, but it says at this point, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The Roma people are a people that have high unemployment. I'll never forget a case just a couple of years ago. We created a short-term missions project where we were sending people for a summer to multiple countries. Today, we've sent more than 150 young people from eight countries to 12 different countries. And we were having an interview. I was talking to this young lady, Marta. She had had a job in Bucharest, Romania. And I was asking her, I said, uh, tell me about your summer. Share with me a little bit about your story. She said, well, you know, when I was, I was working as an assistant chef, I had a good job, and I felt that God was calling me to go for a summer and to serve. But my boss said, I, I'm tired of this spiritual stuff. If you leave, you can just forget your job, and you're not coming back. And her family said, no, it's not wise. Don't do this. But she said, I think this is what God wants me to do for the summer. So she went and served with three of the young people that summer. When she came back, her boss said, well, you know, things were tough. We'd love to have you come back. But let's just kind of quit talking about this Jesus stuff. Just let that be. Two weeks later, he was diagnosed with cancer. He left Romania to go to Italy to get better medical treatment. And while he was in Italy, he met another believer who shared the gospel. And when he came back, he found Martha and he said, I want this Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. And one year ago, he was baptized. And now he serves in a church in Bucharest. All because someone got close to the Savior, got close to hurting people. They listened to his story, they shared the Savior's story, and they shared their story, and it made a radical difference. 
this man right here in the Bible, we don't even know his name. But as he was sitting along one day, everything changed. Maybe you've been coming to this church for quite a while. Maybe you've been here out of tradition and maybe you've thought nothing is ever going to change. Today you could meet the Savior. Maybe you're someone who's been following the Savior a while and you've kind of moved away from those people that bother you, that irritate you, don't have it all together. It's time to get closer. It's time to get closer to people that don't have it all together. Get get closer to people that are hurting, that are oppressed. It's time to get back to those people. And if it's been a while since you shared your story, it's time to open your mouth. It's time when next time when someone says, why did things happen this way? To say the Savior's name and begin to point to God's glory. It's interesting at the end of this story that the Pharisees could see, but they missed Jesus. I find that disconcerting. They were right there. They could see him, touch him, and they missed him. Don't be that close today. If you're here today and you're looking for the Savior, he's closer than a brother. And he cares for you. And I want to say as a, as a blessing from this church, from missionaries all around the world, what you're doing makes a difference, not only here, but around the world. It's a real honor to partner with you. We're not your hey boys. We work together. It's a real joy to serve the Savior and to continue to meet people like Marta, like Raphael, that are in time zones and places you may never visit, but who are meeting the Savior. I'd like to ask you to stand, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I want to say thank you to this church for the many, many ways that you've continued to serve the saints and listen to the Savior's voice. And I want to make this time be a time of reflection for those of you that are listening for the Savior's voice. Because if you seek Him with all of your heart, you will find Him. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, what a great joy and privilege it is to listen to the Savior. What a joy it is to know that you care for hurting people. Father, no matter the situation we're in right now, you're close to us. We may have drifted, but you are right here with us. Father, we thank you that as we're close to you, we'll be close to those that don't have it all together. Father, I pray that you would bring someone to our mind right now that needs to hear your word on their situation, that needs to hear your voice from our lips about how to meet the Savior. Father, I thank you for the generosity, the kindness, and the faithfulness of this church for more than 100 years. I pray that you would continue to bless them in this life and in the life to come. May their light shine bright for your glory and their good. In Jesus' name, amen.